Our Old Testament reading this morning is from the book of the prophet Isaiah. It's the opening three verses of the 61st chapter. I invite you to listen. For word from the Lord as it is there written, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. Our New Testament reading this morning is from the Gospel of Luke. Fourth chapter, beginning at verse 16 and continuing through verse 21. Luke 4, 16 through 21. I invite you to listen again for a word from the Lord. As it is there written of Jesus, when he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed upon him. Then he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. It seems then that Jesus began his public preaching ministry with a bang when he stood in front of the congregants in his local synagogue. He began by reading what was likely a hometown favorite scripture of theirs authored by God through his servant Isaiah. One could hardly go wrong by reading the words of the great Hebrew prophet whose pronouncements were rife with, with that which I preached about last Sunday, namely comfort. God was assuring and reassuring his people throughout these writings that despite whatever the present circumstances of the people were, he, their God, was with them and he, their God, was for them. In Jesus' day, such words were received by those who were dwelling as foreigners in their own land. They were living under the yoke of occupation yet again. For generations now, the people had not known freedom and self-rule. They had lived under the subjugation of empires that were much larger, stronger, and worshipped different Gentile gods. The Hebrews were long since ready for relief, and the words of the prophet Isaiah were a reminder to them 
of the tender love that their God had for them, even during these long stretches of time when they were forced to endure trials, as they waited for their prayers of freedom and self-governance to be convincingly and powerfully answered. So as Jesus begins by reading a selection from this collection of God's comforting revelations to his people, revelations that were given hundreds of years before, I can imagine that they were on that day warmly received. Even today, they make for a very gentle springboard to an initial homiletic lesson by a rabbi standing in front of a congregation for the very first time. I suspect that many a candidating sermon in our own churches today may include an Old Testament reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah. But what makes this address of Jesus so remarkable was the way in which he then embodies this text. With the benefit of our historical and theological hindsight, we should not be so surprised to read of the Word of God who was made flesh, taking the Word of God in Scripture and putting it on, appropriating the words that he himself had authored and demonstrating to the people what they were meant to look like. These astounding remarks by Jesus were meant to be the source of the sermon I was preparing to deliver last Sunday as we were to have installed our officers then, but on account of the snowstorm, I decided to postpone it a week. So today I share them again with you because I believe they are very timely as we are about to commission leaders for service in in and to the work of manifesting the kingdom of God. The Isaiah verses that Jesus read to those assembled in his hometown synagogue continue to resonate with the faithful Jewish and Christian as well. They continue to serve as a reminder that Christ's spirit, the spirit of God, is at work in and among this world that, as they say, God is not done with us yet. An important part of that ongoing redemptive work which the Holy Spirit is authoring is now being done on earth by the body of Christ, whom the Lord spoke into being as he commissioned the disciples to become apostles and to continue the teaching and serving ministries he had inaugurated when he walked and ate and prayed among them. And these are precisely the same works we are preparing to celebrate continuing in this historic sanctuary in this humble little place. We are attesting that the deacons and the elders that have been duly elected by you, the members of this congregation led by the discerning power of the Holy Spirit, will undertake to lead us in the incredible holy work of making the invisible a bit more visible, of participating in the fulfillment of God's faithful promises to the world and to we, his people. That is pretty important and pretty amazing stuff. While they have been previously been anointed, so to speak, by the church, they are being commissioned today for new terms as officers in this congregation 
And among other things, they will be expected to do just those sorts of things Jesus read about from Isaiah. To bring good news to the poor. To proclaim release to the captives. And recovery of sight to the blind. To let the oppressed go free. And to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. As Jesus was reading these same words, however, he concluded with an improvisation that hadn't been there in the Isaiah text, a claim that Jesus alone was capable of uttering in truth. And that astounding message has been, is, and will be at the center of the Christian gospel and the good news that you and I are called to live into and that the leaders of the church are responsible for celebrating and for demonstrating. That message is this, that Jesus is who he says he is, the great I am, and that through him all these works of redemption are taking place. We can and we should be in the business of bringing the good news, as this translation renders the Lucan text's Greek, the single word in the original text that requires four English words to convey it is from the root euangelion. Literally, it's to evangelize. Until it was used in this context, however, the term had always before meant the sort of royal proclamation that had been delivered by the heralds of the king as an announcement perhaps of a coronation or in relation to the signing into law of this or that grand edict. For the gospel authors and editors, though, the phrase took on a different and more profound meaning, turning the good news of the royal court and transforming it into the great news of the king of kings and lord of lords. Jesus proclaimed that he had the sole final and ultimate authority to do these things that he rattled off in the Isaiah text truly and perfectly. And that is the reality that we testify to as we now proclaim Jesus. The release of the captives, the recovery of sight to the blind, the freeing of the oppressed, all this he did, though it may not have been readily apparent at the time, Slavery, after all, continued on long after Jesus' earthly ministry. And oppression and blindness and a whole host of other physical, social, and societal ills continue to this day. But what does not continue is our captivity to an even more pernicious and prolonged captor. From that, Jesus has freed us. He has freed us from an enemy that so many even today refuse to acknowledge exists or believe to be simply too strong to be contended with. But confront and overcome Jesus has. And for that we are eternally free and we ought to be just as eternally grateful. What flows out of an attitude of gratitude is our proclamation of him to the world so that all may know what the Spirit has made known to us, that which causes us such joy and makes us such thankful people. 
proclaiming the one who proclaimed these truths in the fourth chapter of the gospel according to Luke is top priority for Christians and for those to whom they are sent. The body of Christ has been ordered such that leaders are ordained to instruct, to encourage, and to correct the people in their individual acts of proclamation and to coordinate the efforts of the many. This calling has been, I think, made more challenging for all of us in this pandemic era. I certainly don't want to use a disease of the physical body as cover for a disease of apathy within our spiritual bodies. But I do think that if we weren't doing our duty of proclamation all that well before COVID, it has been made even more difficult since. One of the reasons is that our contact with other people has been reduced. Even if an individual has chosen not to change a single thing about his or her own routine as a result, defying every order, mandate, and rule established and enforced by the local, state, and federal authorities, they still would have had less personal contact with folks than they would have had three years ago because so many others have changed their social habits. And such is the reality that faces us as we gather in a small but faithful assembly to commission leaders to model for us traditional ways and adaptive strategies for proclamation. Steve Adkins is a personal example many of us are familiar with of someone who continues to regularly prayer walk, intentionally setting out to encounter new people, establishing relationships with individuals that create opportunities for proclamation. A labor-intensive model, but one that has proven over the generations to be extremely powerful. Other avenues of proclamation are also weighted to be added into our daily routines. A local radio station promotes what they call a drive-through connection on the first Friday of the month, where you pay for the purchase of the next car behind you in line at the fast food outlet. Beyond simply a nice gesture, though, they provide you with a postcard that you give to the cashier as you pay, which explains the reason for this act of generosity and gratitude so that both the witness to and the recipient of the deed alike are blessed by a proclamation in the name of Jesus. The same sort of proclamation takes place as we participate in the sending of these Operation Shoebox gifts. The ones that we heard reported this morning went to six different countries on three different continents this year. And not only is the compassion of the giver sent overseas, but so too along with it is a proclamation of the one who prompts these acts of compassion as the distribution process includes a message to the recipients about the one whom the donors proclaim. Locally, the recent collection and distribution of 
winter clothing items that was coordinated by our own deacons was yet another form of compassionate proclamation. And the list goes on and on and on. My point is that the joyful task can and does take a variety of forms and that even in this new age that we find ourselves struggling to navigate in, the opportunities for continuing the public witness we are called to be as part of the body of Christ are innumerable. So as we this day install folks to active service as elders and deacons in this congregation, we celebrate the gifts with which they have been endowed and the movement of the Holy Spirit within them, which has prompted them to seek to serve us in this way. We pray with and for them that they will help us to explore and to extend our individual and corporate evangelistic efforts that our proclamation of the one who proclaimed himself to be restorer and redeemer of this world and all who are in it might continue to be at the very heart and center of our life together as a community of faith. And for that, we may truly say, thanks be to God and amen.